Welcome back to another episode of the Bump and Run podcast. I am your host, Ben Thompson. And as always, I am joined by Charles Norman and Ryan Bush. And we've got another fun one on tap for you tonight. We're going to be talking about some of the latest NFL headlines, our takeaways from the annual league meeting. And we'll finish the episode discussing how we became fans of some of our favorite teams. And if you haven't already, please be sure to follow us on all social channels at bump and run underscore pod. It would be nice if you guys also gave us a five star rating, a review. And if you could please share this episode with your friends, we appreciate all of our loyal listeners and we thank you for listening. But enough on that. Let's get into tonight's episode. So, guys, we just had the league meeting kind of wrap up here over the last couple of days. And uh, one of the topics that was that we knew was going to be discussed was uh, the overtime format and how it would be looked at and potentially changed. And um, we now have a, a ruling on what's going to happen. So we had the Colts and the Philadelphia Eagles put in a proposal that both teams would be able to pe- possess the ball in overtime which you know we talked about this before guys i think that's something that's going to be huge just because you know we saw that chiefs and bills divisional game and uh you know it it just didn't you know it kind of left a bad taste in our mouth so you know i'm happy to see this and just uh was wondering what you guys thought about that as well also breaking news guys it just came out that bruce arians will be stepping away from the game and he is uh hanging up the uh, headset after a very nice coaching career, if I might add. But um, anyway, back to the overtime rules, you know, I was wondering what you guys thought about this. You know, like I said, we talked about this as something that we'd like to see. Just wondering if you guys are happy about the rule change as well. I'm glad that both teams will at least get the ball. Look at my Philadelphia Eagles leading the way. They probably felt bad for um, Josh Allen not getting the ball back in that Chiefs game. So, you know, with trendsetters, but seriously, it's it's gonna it's just gonna be better. I like that they're starting it off in the playoffs because do we really need it in the reg- well, yeah, we probably do need it in the regular season because I don't think any game should end in a tie or any team should lose a serious football game without getting the ball in overtime. Because if you played well enough to get to overtime, that means you should be able to get a chance to get the ball. And I know I said previously on the show, and I still stand by this, that if you've gotten to that point, your defense should they only gotta make one stop. So they should be able to make one stop. But let's go ahead and make it, you know, I guess people are saying fair, but I don't know if football is actually a fair sport or not, or any sport's fair. But I think this is going to make it more interesting because the game could just go on and on and on like that 2003 um, Rams and Panthers playoff game, which was one of my favorite playoff games. But both of those teams got the ball multiple times. I think they went to double overtime. So we might see stuff like that. Yeah, I'm very, very pleased that this rule passed. Um, I, I think it was long overdue. You know, I think any football fan will tell you that when you look at the standings, they hate seeing, and, and this has been previous years, an 8-7-1 and one record. Now, I know this only applies to the postseason and not the regular season, but I just think it looks kind of weird, and I think it's more important in the playoffs than it would be the regular season to make this rule change. I, I think it's pretty clear the effect that the Chiefs-Bills game had on the league. I mean, the last five minutes of that game, including overtime, was probably one of the most exciting games I've ever watched in my lifetime. And, you know, 
the coin toss ultimately determined what happened in that game. And Josh Allen and, and the Bills offense never got the ball back. So I, I definitely think this was a rule that needed to be passed specifically for the playoffs. I think that there were three teams that opposed the rule change, the Bengals, Vikings, and I can't remember the last one, but Mike Tomlin uh, very candidly this week said that he was opposed to the rule change because he feels in overtime, it's 11 on 11, you know, you put the defense out on the field, you put the offense out on the field, sudden death is the way it should be. And I could understand that, but I do think it's at least fair to give the opposing offense a chance to get the ball back and see if they can match what the other team's offense did as well. So those are my thoughts on it. Like I said, I feel it's it's long overdue at this point, but um, this was definitely a change that needed to be made. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, you know, since the previous rule change back in 2010, I think it was um, 12 postseason overtime games where the team that actually won the toss uh, excuse me, 10 of those 12 teams that won the toss that actually ended up going on to win. And I think seven of them were like a first, you know, opening drive touchdown. So, yeah, I, I you know, while I agree with the you're out there, get a stop, play defense, do what you're doing. You know, you look at that Chiefs and Bills game and I mean, those guys are just out of gas. I mean, there, there was no way that they, you know, where their their backs were against the wall, but um, uh, it'll be nice to see that. Um, obviously, my team has benefited off of it in a in a Super Bowl victory, and uh, in also in another playoff game as well against the Chiefs. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, moving on to that, uh, we also had the the Rooney Rule was also amended this week too, and. Um, Teams must now have a woman or a member of ethnic or racial minority on the offensive coaching staff. And uh, Art Rooney was one of the people that chimed in this week and, you know, basically said that, you know, you're starting to see a trend in the NFL where more coaches that are being hired for head coaching positions are coming from the offensive side of the ball. So this was almost a no brainer to, you know, enforce this and in hopes that, you know, some of these, minority folks start to get looked at more so for these head coaching positions, which, you know, I, I think is something that we, we desperately need in this league. Would you guys agree with that? I would agree with that, Ben. But, you know, as I've said, the Rooney rule does not feel genuine to me. It almost incentivizes teams to now interview minority head coaches and women. And, I don't know. There, 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 there's something about the whole rule that just does. It just comes off as very fake to me by the NFL, so that they can keep up this, this image or this standard, you know, of oh, you know, we stand with diversity and, and this and that. I have a bad feeling if it weren't for Mike Tomlin, Brian Flores probably wouldn't be coaching this year in any sort of capacity, and that's a shame because Brian Flores is a goddamn good head coach. So, you know, yeah, th this was, again, another rule that, that needed a revision. Why there isn't more diversity amongst staffs throughout the league, whether that be minorities or, or women, is, is beyond me. I mean, if you look at the staff Bruce Arians has put together in Tampa, 
he has a number of women on that staff. Their, their linebackers coach is a woman, and, and I believe along with uh, one or two others. But and, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I really, really do. So the NFL just doing everything they can here to maintain the image of the shield, in my opinion. I, I just I don't feel it's genuine. What do you guys think about that? Um, well, we just got another black head coach because Todd Bowles is taking over for Bruce Arians. So I don't think it incentivizes the teams. Um, I think for anything, it just gives them they actually have to do the work now because now it's required. Before it wasn't required to actually hire a minority or um, a one, well, one running in discussion. So the fact that they're adding women to it. And yeah, I mean, this is an offensive league. Majority of the co- head coaches are offensive head coaches. When they talk about a young, innovative coach, they're not talking about a defensive coach. They're talking about offensive coaches. So I, I've never really liked the Rooney rule. I think it's it's a check me type of rule. Like, all right, we got the black guy in. Let's go ahead and move on and get our real guy. And I can call out the Eagles again. They did that to do Staley, three different head coaching searches. They did it when they fired Andy Reid. They did it when they fired Chip Kelly. They did it when they fired Doug Peterson. So I'm just glad that it's not a check me rule anymore. And it's, you know, they actually have to hire and have someone that's a minority or a woman on their um, staff. I agree with that. You know, I think it'll be good for the league and Bush. You know, I, I do agree with that as well. It, it almost seems like they, they want to keep up with their, you know, what they're doing to diversify the game. And in the same sense, I, that's fine. You know, I think this should be a diverse league. You know, Goodell said, you know, we've worked for years and, you know, made progress to ensure staff and leaders reflect the racial gender makeup of America. But, you know, we have more work to do, particularly at the head coach and the front office level. So, and yeah, Charles, you just mentioned too, Todd Bowles is going to be stepping in for Bruce Arians, who we just mentioned is stepping away from the Buccaneers. And, uh, It'll be good to see Todd Bowles get another stab at the head coaching position because I, I I think he has a lot of potential, like many guys in this league. Bush, you said it, you know, Brian Flores, he's a great coach. I think that there are plenty of uh, minority staff members in this league that are fully capable of leading some of these teams, whether it's at the coaching level or in the front office. So it's nice to see some change, and uh, it'll be good to have this stuff in, in place. I think you make a good point about Todd Bowles, Ben, um, just and the rest of the people, but Todd Bowles specifically. Like, look what he was doing with the Jets. They weren't just the regular Jets when he were there, was there. They weren't going to the playoffs or anything, but they were competitive in a lot of the games. He didn't have the right personnel around him. I wonder how it's going to work out in Tampa Bay, Whether whatever he's going to have around him in Tampa Bay. But that defense has been you know, top tier, won a Super Bowl the year before last. Um, you look at Brian Flores, who, you're right, um, Bush, if Mike Tomlin didn't hire him, he probably wouldn't have a job. But there's a lot more to it than that. And I think the NFL had to move in a way where, you know, if this was a couple of years ago and the Colin Kaepernick stuff didn't go down the way it did, then maybe Mike Tomlin wouldn't have hired him. Maybe the NFL would have, you know, blackballed him or worked against hiring him too. So I think... It, it goes hand in hand because not just it's not just the coaching thing. It's the just how the NFL has really treated diversity and have they actually treated diversity as diversity or um, 
or have they actually recognized and done things with diversity? I think they're just trying now, but I think it's late. <laughs> I can say, you know, if I might add, like the fact that we're calling, and I actually, I don't care. The Dolphins head coach, like, I don't know what his race is, but when I, he don't look like he's, me. He's <laughs> apparently biracial. His yeah, mother is white. Okay, he don't look like me, but he's he said they're they're saying he's a black guy, and that's fine. But where where are the people like Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, Eric Bieniemy, two offensive coordinators who have won Super Bowls? The last two the last two out of three Super Bowls they have won it. What about Leslie Frazier? The Bills, you know, we talk about how good the Bills are. Well, that defense is what really makes the Bills. And Leslie Frazier's been running that. Him and Sean McDermott together, both Jim Johnson disciples. Um, you just look around the whole league. I mean, some and of these, Charles, to your point, Lovey Smith as well in Houston. Lovey just got a job. I was, I just realized that when Ben sent the picture, I was like, that Lovey, I forgot that Lovey yeah, got yeah, his yeah. job. But, yeah, but Lovey, one of the best defensive coaches, you know, in our era, really. You know, he was defensive coordinator of those, you know, the greatest show on turf that always gets. Talked about for their defense. I mean, their offense, but their defense wasn't bad at all. So, and the Bears when he was there. So, you think about all, and not just you know coaching wise, but Ben, you brought up the front office. How many minority or black GMs do we have? How many women do we have in those positions? I mean, I think women really—that's glass ceiling breaking, because we've had minority coaches and minority GMs. But when are we going to give? You know. Women, there are, are women who think, you know, that were in our sports management um, major, who are, who are going to college to learn things about this stuff, who are doing internships, who are getting that experience there. So why not give them a fair shot? I think, you know, it's sad that they have to have a rule because I wonder if there was no really rule, would they even do the check me? All right, we're done. Would they even do that? And Charles, that's an excellent point. And I think that's what I was trying to say. Why does there even need to be a rule regarding the interviews of minority head coaches or women? Why the, the fact that that it needs to be stated as a rule, I think, is what comes off as so disingenuine to me as it pertains to this topic, because I understand that there are certain qualifications that need to be met for not just the NFL, but any job in America. There's no question about it. The issue is the hiring practices that go into it. You know, there's favoritism, there's nepotism, you know, a- any of those types of things. The, the fact that there needs to be something written in ink about you need to interview this type of person or that type of person, it's bullshit to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of leave it at that for now. Obviously, th- more things will come out on that, uh, you know, as the season gets closer. But, um, Wanted to talk about a little, a little bit about HBO's Hard Knocks. The uh, Detroit Lions are going to be the team that are featured on there next year. And uh, for those of you who haven't watched or heard of Hard Knocks, it's a TV series on HBO that usually features sort of a, like an unfiltered look, an uncensored look at a particular NFL team, where you know they they give you inside looks into the meeting rooms. Um, you know, into some of the team rooms and practices and things like that. And uh, I think it's a great show. I've been watching it for several, several years. I know Bush, your Cowboys were on there actually last year. 
I think it's a cool look and you know for a, or an organization who's trying to build like the Lions and that head coach of theirs Dan Campbell he's a one crazy motherfucker <laughs> I think it'll be a, you know a good inside look into their organization and uh provide some good insight uh I don't know if you guys watch the show or if you uh have some similar thoughts but you know I'd love to hear from you I have not watched Heart I I, I loved Heart Knocks but I haven't watched it I used to watch it every summer. It was one of my favorite. I used to wait for it. But I have not watched it, I think, since the last time the Bengals were on there or the Dolphins when Chad Johnson was on the Dolphins. But I think a team like the um, Lions would make an interesting, you know, make an interesting show because I think about Dan Campbell, the funnest coaching staff in the league. I mean, all former players, you see him. I don't know if you follow Chris Long on Twitter, but he's always, even when they're losing, they were like 0-10 at one point, and he's still talking about how fun and how great this coaching staff is. And I do believe that it's a good coaching staff. I know Deuce Daly's a good coach. I know Dave Fick is a good coach. Both of them coach for the Eagles and won the Super Bowl with them. Um, i like to see how, you know, i like to see what's going to happen after this draft. How are, What position would the Lions be after the draft? I'm not going to say it's exciting to me anymore, but I think I will watch this season. I watched a little bit of last season, but I remember when the Cowboys were on years ago. I used to love that one. Um, hard knocks back then, too, but not the same for me as what it was. Yeah, I agree with Charles. It's definitely it's definitely not the same. There's, there's clearly some acting that's going on with some of the more recent hard knocks. I think that's that's pretty obvious. As it pertains to this year's Hard Knocks, this is going to be Jared Goff's third time on Hard Knocks. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Like you guys mentioned, a very, very fun coaching staff. I think that you will really see just how good of a head coach Dan Campbell is behind the scenes. Dan Campbell was a tight end for the Cowboys. Back in 2015, he took over as head coach in Miami halfway through the year and really turned really turn them around and, and, and their season around that year. And I know there's no such thing as moral victories in the NFL. We, you know, we, we hear that quote all the time, but you can make an argument that the Lions were one of the best, worst teams of all time last year. They were competitive. It's not like they were getting blown out. I mean, they beat a 13-3 and Green Bay Packers team in week 18 to essentially – lead them into losing to San Francisco um, two weeks later. So I, I definitely think that that loss to Detroit had an impact on Green Bay that led into the playoffs. But I, I think, you know, this is definitely going to be another good, good hard knock season. You know, last year's, I, I know the Cowboys were featured on it and there were definitely certain things I liked about it, but it was kind of boring, actually, if I'm being quite honest. Um, I don't know if that was Mike McCarthy's influence and, and how much of a say he had on where the cameras went, what they had access to throughout the facility. You know, I don't know anything about that, but um, I think that this is going to be a very good one. I think that Detroit is a, is a young up and coming team. They're still rebuilding. I think in a few years, they'll be very good. They need to figure out the quarterback situation because I always thought Jared Goff was, was pretty unfairly treated there in Los Angeles, but We'll, we'll see if he can take the reins as the starter this year. Again, he didn't have a very good team around him last year, but they were competitive. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what Hard Knocks brings this year. For sure. Keeping it with the quarterbacks, I don't know if you guys saw, Andy Dalton is headed to the Saints. 
So looks like they're going to have a little bit of a competition between he and Jameis Winston, as it was reported that Taysom Hill is set to be focusing on tight end this year. Is he a better Tim Tebow? I mean, if you're a better Tim Tebow, how big of an accolade is that really? Look, I, I think Taysom Hill can be used. <laughs> Charles, I think Taysom Hill can be used in a number of different roles. I don't think his strength is quarterback. That's been made very obvious. But do I think he could be serviceable as a tight end or as a slot receiver? Yeah, potentially. But, you know, when we first started this podcast and we were talking about the 49ers being a little too cute with, with Trent Williams, I think Sean Payton tried to be a little too cute with a guy like Taysom Hill. They had him at quarterback. They had him at receiver. Now, mind you, he didn't throw much as a quarterback until he needed to take over for Jameis Winston this year. He was primarily used in the run game. But how do you see him panning out as a tight end? I don't quite know. Dennis Allen thinks he can be, quote, one of the better players in the league in that role. That's that's to be seen. They've got to figure out the quarterback situation first. But I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. There's only one player in this league, maybe two, that I like as a hybrid who can play multiple positions. And that's Micah Parsons at defensive end and linebacker. And that's Debo Samuel at uh, wide receiver and running back. So let's see how this experiment pans out. Because like I said, I, I just, I don't know. The Taysom Hill hype has been there for a couple of years. And I don't really, I don't think anything's really come of it. So it's to be seen in my opinion. So what do you think though about their quarterback situation? You know, you got Dalton and Winston. Do you think there's better guys that are out there? Do you think the Saints might be in the market for um, one of these other guys? Maybe Baker Mayfield? I don't know. I just don't, I don't know what they're going to look like. You know, Andy Dalton's kind of at the end of his career. He had a couple good showings for the Bears, but I guess that remains to be seen as well. I think Jameis Winston can do well there. He was doing well there last year. I don't see why he can do well up there again. The difference is he won't have Sean Payton there to be his quarterback's coach and offensive guru, but they were doing pretty well. They were, let's not forget, they were leading the NFC South. When he was their quarterback, they beat, even without him as their quarterback, they beat the Buccaneers twice. But the first game is when he got hurt against the Bucs, but they ended up winning that game. So I don't see why Jameis, I think Jameis Winston's earned his spot. Andy Dalton lost his spot to a rookie last year. The Saints crumbled without Jameis Winston last year. Literally, they, I mean, that guy at quarterback and tight end, I won't even talk about him. That's why the NFL changed their rule to only hire minority and women. You know, it's mandatory to hire minority and a woman on offensive side because you get defensive coaches like Dennis Allen as head coach and start doing stupid stuff like that. Um, I just I don't even understand that. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't even get it. Like, are we still talking about that guy? I thought he was off the <laughs> but he's still here. Yeah, okay, he's not better than Tim Tebow either. So that's at least Tim Tebow won a national championship. And a playoff game for that matter. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, I guess we'll cut that right there. Um, another thing in the headlines this week is that the Bills are going to be getting a brand new stadium here, hoping to break ground in 2023. The stadium's going to come in at about $1.4 billion. And supposedly it's probably, probably going to be – it's not going to be a dome. I guess the, the, the new stadium is supposed to have about 60,000 seats and it's going to be designed by the Bills. 
So um, I'll be interested to see kind of what happens with that because I've been to several Bills games up at the uh, Highmark Stadium. It's been several different things over the years, but uh, and that stadium's been there, I think, since the late 60s, early 70s. So, I mean, it's been around for a while. But, you know, they've done some renovations and stuff to that place. And honestly, like I said, I've been there numerous times. I don't think it's, uh, you know, that shitty of a stadium. Not, you know, like Qualcomm Stadium was pretty shitty when they tore that down. You know, the Oakland Coliseum has seen its better days. But I don't know. I think that Highmark Stadium is still a, a, a beautiful venue. But the NFL with things changing constantly, they want all these teams to have the biggest and best stadiums across the league. And uh, ultimately we're going to see that here in a couple of years. But uh, one of the most interesting things about this story was that 850 million of the money towards the stadium is actually going to come from a taxpayer contribution in the state of New York, which has some people up in arms, but um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I think a new stadium for the bills will be um, different for sure. Could you guys imagine having a, I mean, Bush, you guys got AT&T Stadium, but Charles, can you ever imagine, you know, the Eagles having something different and, you know, more high tech and glam like the, you know, the new SoFi Stadium? I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. It's not that You're I'm right. a Lincoln Financial Field because when I started watching football, we didn't have Lincoln Financial Field. So um, I've already, this is my second stadium as an Eagles fan, but I think, okay, there. so I saw Tory Smith tweet, why would they not make a dome? I get the points for making a dome. I also get the points for not making a dome because that's their home field advantage. But let's be honest, home field advantage doesn't really exist in the NFL anymore. It's just not a thing. And it hasn't been for a little while. The last home, real, real home field advantage for the last one was the 12th man. That's been done for years, for years. So um, I think a dome with Bills fans will be crazy. It's one of the best fan bases out there. You know, talk about a loud stadium. Imagine that, because the stadium is already loud when you're there. Um, you- oh, yeah. One of the times I was there, they actually tried to, to beat one of the records. It, I mean, I had never heard anything like it, man. It was fucking insane but uh i think the chiefs and the seahawks you know obviously their crowds are yeah. always huge but yeah that was of, uh, that was something and then they were talking about um building a dome so that the city could get money back for like concerts and stuff but okay they'll get concert money back in the summertime or in the springtime yeah um, they, i mean they already have concerts there my jenna's dad actually went to a billy joel concert there i mean they have concerts there all the time so um you know, it doesn't have to be inside of a stadium, inside of a dome, I guess. Yeah, I yeah, say, I get but. you. I get you. I, I get you. I agree. One of the other things I wanted to touch on this week, too, in, in terms of uh, NFL headlines was uh, today, actually, Malcolm Jenkins just uh, retired on a you know amazing career with the Eagles and the Saints. And um, one of the interesting things about him was uh, he was the only player to beat both Brady and Manning in the Super Bowl, which I saw that. And uh, I know, Charles, that brings a smirk to your face. But, uh, you know, the thing about Malcolm Jenkins is uh, he he was a great ambassador for the game. You know, he is the co-founder of the Players Coalition, which has gone on to get involved with some, some of the other pro sports. You know, he was somebody who 
tried to take a stand whenever the you know the stuff was going on with Colin Kaepernick and uh you know some of that kind of stuff too so uh, props to Malcolm Jenkins on a great career and uh you know I think he'll do great things outside of the NFL as well I, I was just gonna say you know um I, I think when you look at some of the more notable safeties that played the game in our era such as Ed Reed Troy Palomalu um, even Bob Sanders, when he was able to stay healthy, was was absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, you look at Tyron Matthew in today's game. Malcolm Jenkins is right there, in my opinion. Ben, as you mentioned, fantastic stat. Um, the only player to beat both uh, Brady and Manning in a Super Bowl. Other than that, especially for the cities of New Orleans and Philadelphia, I really felt like he encapsulated the the, the styles of those cities particularly Philadelphia. I mean, Malcolm Jenkins was phenomenal in run support. He was a great cover corner, but he, he had excellent form when it came to tackling, especially in the open field. I remember in that Super Bowl against the Patriots, Brandon Cook caught a pass and Christ, he was turning around every which way. I know you both know what I'm talking about. And Malcolm Jenkins laid him the fuck out. I mean, Knocked him out of the game, literally. He left Yeah, he folded him like one of those tables that they jumped through up there in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, but 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 other than his uh his play and his style of play, great ambassador of the game, like you guys mentioned, stood for a number of different um racial issues, was was very articulate when it came to those types of topics. I, I think the game has lost a, a, a great one. Outside of his phenomenal football play, he was also a really, really good dude. I always liked watching him play against my Cowboys. I really, really did think that he was one of the better safeties in the league during this era, one of the more underrated ones. I don't quite think he got the appreciation he deserved. But, yeah, uh, congratulations to Malcolm Jenkins on a phenomenal career. Yeah, I I love Malcolm Jenkins. I remember when he came here to Philly. Just wasn't the guy that we wanted. All the Eagles fans wanted Jarius Bird. He was in that same free agency class. But Malcolm Jenkins right away proved to be a player that was Philly tough. If you look at his career with the Eagles, he never missed one game. Not one game. How do you not miss a game? And in the last eight years, he didn't miss a game. With the way that players get hurt now, with the way that teams, they'll give you time off the rest. I mean, a couple, a couple of those years when he was with the Eagles, they weren't even in playoff contention. But he's still playing. Look at the Saints last year. They weren't in playoff contention at the last game last season, but he still played. Um, I think about, yeah, Bush, I think about that Super Bowl, but that Super Bowl one as a whole, just everything that was able to happen. And Malcolm Jenkins being a leader of that defense. Um, he was able to play deep. He was able to play down in the box. And that's something that the Eagles are missing today. That Brandon Cook's hit was amazing. Him <laughs> slapping Tom Brady on the butt after he um, dropped the pass. That was great. I mean, it was just a really, really great time having Malcolm Jenkins as an eagle. But even more than as an eagle, you all talked about his initiatives with the NFL, but the stuff that he did in the community, I think that's you know, that's more remarkable to me than anything for any player that any player can do. How do you impact the community that's going to be given so much to you? Because it's really the fans who make it possible for him to do what he does. And he really put his all into the city of Philadelphia. And I'm pretty sure he's going to come back. Again, props to Malcolm Jenkins on a great career. You know, not, not much more to say than that. But uh, 
we're going to kind of get into why we are fans of the teams that we are. And, uh, you know, as you know, I'm a big Patriots fan. Bush is uh, big on the, on the Cowboys and Charles is a huge Eagles fan. And, uh, you know, sports fandom has always been something that's super interesting be, to me because it, it, it often leaves us referring to our teams as we, you know, like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we, we got to play the Vikings this week or, you know, talking about we, like you're a part of the team and, uh, you know, sure, we're not playing for our, you know, ourselves, but, you know, the investment goes deep with uh, NFL fandom and sports fandom as a whole. With a dedicated sports fan, it, it's more than just a game. You know, there's been several times where I've been watching the Patriots and um, it was actually funny. I was up and we, Jen and I went to the Patriots game this year up in Buffalo where it was super windy. Mac only completed like two or three passes and, uh, the bills were getting ready on that final two minute drive. And, uh, you know, we were freezing our asses off. We couldn't feel our feet, couldn't feel our toes. And, uh, you know, Jenna, who's all bundled up in her jacket, she's looking up at me and she's like, Hey, can we, can we please leave? I just want to go. I, I I can't feel my toes. Like I'm ready to go. And I'm like, come on, like there's two minutes left. Like, you're not going to do this to me. Right. Like the bills are potentially going to score here and win this damn game. Like we have to stay. We have to see what happens here. And she's like getting starting to get pissed at me saying, you know, Oh my God, you know, why, why do you care so much about this? And all this, I'm just like, this is a big game. Like this is a divisional game. You know, we paid to be here. Like, let's see what happens. I want to see my team win this damn thing. So, um, you know, needless to say, um, I made sure I made damn sure we stuck around till, so that uh, fourth down was incomplete there by by Josh Allen, but uh, you know, NFL is something that's just year round. Uh, you know, for us, especially you know, with this podcast, it's it's something that is super fun for us, and uh, you know, something that keeps us going, and just something that we can look forward to. And uh, being on this show with you guys, it's it's been amazing over the last couple of weeks. Honestly, uh, it's not something I probably would have ever seen myself doing before, but. You know, it allows me to break out of my show and, you know, you guys too, to come on here every week and passionately talk about our teams and what we want to see and how, you know, things are going and stuff like that. It, it's, it's really fun. And, uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have plenty of great people in my life that echo that as well. So, you know, with that being said, uh, I'll let one of you guys start and just kind of talk about why you are a fan of the team you are and kind of how it became. So when I was young, it's weird that I'm an Eagles fan, even being from Philadelphia. My dad's a 49ers fan. And then my the people I watch football with was my dad and my grandma. And my grandma's a Cowboys fan. And she loves, I told you all before, she loves Emmett Smith. She loves her Cowboys. And really the only games that when I was younger, younger, well, the first game I ever watched was the Super Bowl in 1999 with the Titans and the Rams. And then I remember one of the first games that I watched was in 1999. I remember being, I was a little kid, but I remember seeing Donovan McNabb for the first time. And I thought it was so funny that the, this quarterback, he wasn't throwing the ball that much. He just kept running around. <laughs> it was so funny. And then then I, I watched the next game and then I watched, um, kept on watching. And Doug Peterson was the quarterback and they ended up beating the Cowboys. That, that was their first one, one of their first, well, not the first one, but one of their first wins of the year. And then when McNabb took over, it was just off to the races. I remember one of my 
first, first memories outside of that first year was the playoff game versus the Giants in 2000. And I remember McNabb throwing an interception to Jason Seahorn. And, you know, you say Jason Seahorn to anyone in the NFC East, and we're all like, fuck you. Especially Michael Irvin. He gets really mad about Jason <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, he does. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. And then that team grew, like, as I was growing older, that team got really, really special. So, like I said earlier, you know, this is veteran stadium. You have a, you got a great, well, not great, you got a terrible field, you know, under that field, under that astral turf, was fucking concrete players. People hated to go play there. There were holes in it where, you know, the Eagles players knew where to step to, but step back. But some of the visiting players, they, you know, they hated it. They even canceled a preseason game one time because it was too hot. And when it got hot at, at the vet, that um, AstroTurf kind of burning your cleats. You could feel it through your cleats. So they actually canceled a preseason game against the Ravens and the Eagles one time. And I've always loved, um, if you hear ever hear me talk about, like, defense, it's because of Jim Johnson. There were two defensive coordinators in the early 2000s that you talked about. That was Dick LeBeau and Jim Johnson, both being in Pennsylvania. That was it. That though that was that the height of defense. I know Belichick was there and New England, but no, they didn't have the players that he had. That was the height of defense right there. I think you look at some of the players that Jim Johnson had in those early 2000s. Like you can, you really can't name many of them, but you can name Brian Dawkins and you can name Jeremiah Trotter in those first couple of years. And he, you know, people outside of Philly could have Hugh Douglas too. But, you know, he had LeVon Kirkland. <laughs> like, he had Clyde Simmons, not Clyde Simmons. I um, forgot his last name. Um, he had Dahani Jones, people like that. Like those are household names. He made those defenses look great every year. They were top five every year with Jim Johnson. And um, the, I always think back to that Super Bowl against the Patriots where, they had that Super Bowl route um, pretty much printed off because guess what? They should have won that game. I don't know if you remember it, but they really should have won that game. They weren't favored in that game, but that this was a different team than what New England played before. They weren't, you know, like the Carolina Panthers who didn't didn't need to be there or the greatest show and turf that was there. But the old one greatest show and turf wasn't the 2099 greatest show and turf. It just weren't the same. They were on their, like all of them were on their way out. Like two years later, Kurt Warner was gone. Marshall Falk began to get hurt. So that Eagles team with what McNabb and T.O. did um, that year and just the defense in total, you know, it was, a, it was a great year. And even though they didn't want it, that, I still say when people ask me, what year would you go back to as an Eagles fan? I never say 2017, although they did win the Super Bowl that year. I always say 2004 because that was the best year. Um, a lot of things happened in that game, but Donovan McNabb being hungover and throwing up. <laughs> I mean, you look, you know, outside of the McNabb years, which, you know, McNabb and Andy Reid don't get, obviously he gets, McNabb gets overshadowed, but he should be in the Hall of Fame. If Jim Kelly's in the Hall of Fame, Donovan McNabb should be in the Hall of Fame too. Check their stats. Kelly just went to four straight Super Bowls in a very, very weak AFC and lost all four. McNabb, just went to the conference championship games. But if Kelly's going to be in there, then McNabb should be in. You look at, especially since I just, just to hit on that for a second longer, 
Kelly's offense, when they were running, they I mean, they really started doing that no huddle back then, and they were passing the ball more than anyone. And defenses couldn't just couldn't keep up with it. Like, their offense was amazing. I think McNabb, what he did with his receivers, could you two name any receiver that he had from 2004 outside of Terrell Owens? <laughs> Freddie Mitchell, maybe? I don't even know Okay, about yeah, that. Freddie Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's only because though, fourth and twenty six. Yeah. That's only because of fourth and twenty six. Exactly, exactly. Against this Green guy, Bay, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. This guy's throwing a James Thrash, Billy McMullen. You know, guys are like guys. Todd Pinkston, who was scared to take a hit. Well, I'm going to show you the video. I'm going to send the video to you. against the Redskins one time. He McNabb guns the ball deep to him, and he sees the safety there, and he just pulls up. Like he was out there playing with nobody receivers. And really making making the best of it. I mean, you just look at some – once he got T.O., it's a shame. I think that will be one of the biggest things. That and the 98 Vikings, to me, will be two of the biggest mysteries because I really do think they could have won that Super Bowl in 98. But the Eagles, McNabb and T.O., they could have got their shit together. We're, talk, we're talking a different story here with Super Bowls. And then out. I was going to say McNabb and Andy Reid don't get the same credit as McNabb and Mahomes, but McNabb is the quarterback that Andy Reid, like that's his foundation for quarterbacks. Mahomes is Mahomes because McNabb, I mean, Andy Reid had McNabb. Let's not, let's not even um, make no doubt about that. Andy Reid has elevated Patrick Mahomes to a different level. And that's because he had a quarterback like Donald McNabb for 10 years. Then you look at what they were able to do with Michael Vick. Those years were fun. Um, and I just think, you know, 2017, obviously the best, one of the funnest years. They obviously won the Super Bowl then. But and even now as an Eagles fan, like outside of the Super Bowl, it's been upsetting because it's like, what are y'all doing? Y'all, y'all should be competing. And they and they really should should be. I mean, you look at 2018, um, if Alshon Jeffrey doesn't drop that ball against the Saints and he gets picked off, I'm not sure if they lose to the Patriots in the Super Bowl the way the Rams did. The Rams just weren't aggressive at all that year. And that's what Doug Peterson's known for. Um, so, and I, they wouldn't have lost to the Rams in the um, NFC Championship game either. So I, I just think that 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 whole story was screwed up by a drop. But, I, you know, while being an Eagles fan, you also, be, like Ben said, you become a fan of football. So, Ben, I know you'll talk about the Patriots and you'll talk about the Cowboys, Bush, but watching those teams growing up, it was always just – you hated Tom Brady because you knew that somehow, way, if he got the ball with two minutes left, that, fuck it, it was a good game up until that point, he's going to win. Or if you're playing against Tony Romo, especially in Tony's early years, Tony was a gutsy motherfucker, man. He was a gutsy, gutsy motherfucker. Nobody gave me more anxiety attacks than Tony Romo. I'll tell you. Oh my <laughs> god! Oh my god! A gutsy, gutsy motherfucker he was. Him and Jason went together. I mean, you just—I wish they had more time together with Romo not getting hurt. But you know, that was a rival that I always look forward to. The Cowboys and Eagles big in my household. Cowboys versus Eagles big in my household. And you, whenever the Eagles played the Patriots, you—I mean, the Patriots played the Cowboys. You always root it for the Patriots. So you never root for the Cowboys ever. But yeah, that's my football story. It's been over 20 years now. Almost, what is it, 2022? So 23 years. 
I've been rocking with these Eagles. I love them. Go ahead. Charles, too, before Bush goes, I, I, I want to ask, too, because him, him and I don't necessarily have this experience, whereas you grew up in Philly. I mean, you got to be around your local sports media and, you know, hear from them almost on a daily basis, whereas we, Bush and I growing up, we didn't necessarily have access to that kind of stuff. So I'm sure that has to, you know, obviously play a, a role in your fandom as well. And that's something that I'm sure you cherished growing up as an Eagles fan as well. I did, especially so I'm a big time WIP listener. So you've probably heard of Howard Eskin. You've heard of some of the guys here, but there's no one. And people in Philly don't really like him right now. Well, as much more. He's retiring this year. But Angelo Cataldi is literally my favorite person. I, six to ten every morning, I got to hear him. I love Angelo. Because, you know, he's become this character, which he's not really like this in real life. If there's anyone that can get the and I'm just talking about the Eagles, the Philadelphia fan base hyped up. No one can do it better than Angelo. No one. Because he'll, he'll, he'll put stories together in his own head. And you'll start believing after a while. It'll make you, I mean, he'll have people hating Tony Romo and Tony Romo doesn't even play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Angelo Cataldi. Oh, I love reason. him. I love him. He just, I mean, but when you talk about, like, Philly is also unique. Can't really name that many other sports towns that have, you know, in the same sports complex. They're football, basketball, hockey, and baseball, all in the same complex. Philadelphia, you know, when the Philadelphia teams are winning, the mood in Philadelphia is high. When they're losing, it's low. Like you said, Ben, we, you know, I'm not just an Eagles fan. I'm a part of the Eagles. Philadelphia is a part of the Eagles. We go hand in hand. So uh, I, I do love the um, – it, it's – I always tell people who don't live in the city where their team plays. You know, you're. It, it's great to be a fan of the team, but when you're there and you're actually in it, it's just a whole different experience. And I don't live in Philly anymore, but, you know, I still listen to WIP every morning. Right. And I, if I remember correctly, I've I, <laughs> I seen videos of you celebrating after that Super Bowl. You were... You were running through the streets of downtown Philly, weren't you? No, I was actually doing your Super Bowl party in Bradford. I was not in Philly when that happened. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it was somebody else, but um, it was. You well, know. you had me at the parade. The parade. I was at the okay. parade. Yeah. That's what. Okay, was. for sure. And you get. I mean, you get to experience that too. You know, how many times have the Patriots had a, or Boston in general had a, you know, sports championship parade and. God damn it. I, I would love to experience something like that, but uh, it's the best. You know, that's what you, yeah, for sure. But uh, Bush, you know, we've mentioned it several times before, uh, you, you know, your, your brother is a big giants fan. Your, your dad's a giants fan. You come from a giants household. You live in Jersey. You're only about an hour from the Meadowlands. How the hell do you come out to be a Dallas Cowboys fan, man? Yeah. You know, Ben, like, like you mentioned, man, um, the uh, the Bush family has a long and deeply ingrained connection with with the Giants. My dad was born in 1946. He's been a diehard Giants fan literally since the day he was born. And uh, as is my brother, as you guys know, and as our listeners know, I hold such a 
soft spot in my heart for the Giants, specifically because of them. I've never hated the Giants. Um, in fact, I only wish them the best other than when they play us twice a year. But for me, you know, originally I'm, I'm from New York. Um, I was born in Mineola, New York in 1996. And the, the New York, New Jersey region is, is all Giants. It's, it's diehard Giants or diehard Jets. Um, but I've, I've had more interactions with Giants fans than I have with Jets fans specifically because we play them twice a year and it's such a rivalry. So I, I will never, ever trash the Giants as far as that goes. But I think for me, you know, I, I've, I've always had such a deeply personal connection to the Cowboys. Something about them, despite their shortcomings and, and, and the number of times throughout my fandom that they have absolutely let me down, it only makes me love them more. I guess for me, I looked at the fact that there were 29 other teams outside of the tri-state area. You know, you've got the Bills, you've got the Jets, and you've got the Giants in the New York, New Jersey region. And I remember when I was living in Long Island, I remember watching Emmett Smith break Walter Payton's all-time rushing record. And there was something about the blue star on the side of the helmet with the white uniforms and the blue numbers that always, always caught my eye, always did. And it, it, it was their glitz and glamour that I suppose really, really attracted me to them. I, I love their logo. I love their uniform combinations. It's always been something that stood out to me. Um, but for me personally, I don't typically share what I'm about to share, but I feel it's important as it pertains to this topic because, you know, you two are two of my best friends and I think it's important for our listeners to know. So um, I suffer from a generalized anxiety disorder. I have Tourette's syndrome and I suffer from extreme OCD. When you deal with those three things on a consistent basis, you need to find an outlet to help you cope with it. Um, it can be sports, it can be your friends, it can be your family. But the one thing that has always remained steady for me and helping me deal with those three things, it's been the Cowboys. Um, if I'm having a really, really bad day as it pertains to those three things, as much as the Cowboys give me anxiety, they also really, really help calm me. Um, I'll watch their highlights. I'll go back and I'll watch old games and it always kind of brings me down a little bit. It keeps me mellow. It, it, it serves as a reminder for, for me to just watch them and have fun. Um, and, and, and if there's two players I watched growing up that always really, really helped me, it was Romo and it was Dez. You know, everybody, I've had people ask me, who's, who's your favorite Cowboy? And I'll tell them I, I don't have one. I have two, and they're tied for first. And it's those two right there. Um, it was their style of play. It was their passion. It was the exciting moments they gave me, despite the shortcomings that always, always really kind of helped propel me along. And I think for me, the Cowboys always gave me, they gave me an identity. You know, Ben, you made a really good point. You know, you and I, Ben, you live in Pennsylvania. I live in New Jersey. Your team plays in Massachusetts. My team plays in Texas. 
Charles always grew up locally with the Eagles. So he, he had that close connection for fans like Ben and I, we had to further grow that connection because we don't live in the area that that team plays in. So it almost forces you to step your game up as far as your fandom goes. But I became a fan of them because they're always on national television. If I miss two or three Cowboy games a year because they're not playing on TV, that's a lot. I love their logo. I've been to their stadium twice. It is an experience that I cannot preach enough. It, it almost changed my life in a, in a very, very positive way when I saw not only the stadium, but, you know, the, the inner workings of it and, and, and how, how they operate on a day-to-day basis. It is an incredible experience. I would recommend it to anybody, even if you're not a football fan, because it's just, it's just that cool. There's a lot of art. There's, there's so many different components to it that I think even the average person would, would really, really appreciate. But, you know, for me, I, I think that they've always been the one constant in my life. They're the one thing I can always lean on. They're the one thing that I know will always be there. I only get to watch them once a week between September and if they oh, if they ever make it to the Super Bowl, <laughs> you know, I'll. that's the one thing I know I can always count on for about four or five months that – you know, win or lose, they'll always bring me happiness. And I think that's why we're we're fans of our teams. You know, we've all experienced disappointment with them. But, you know, if they bring you genuine happiness and they can make your week better, that's why you love them. That's that's really at the end of the day why you love them. And we talk about the NFL a lot on this podcast and the business side of it and players being traded away. And look. At the end of the day, growing up, we did not know a lot about the NFL then as we do now as it pertains to the business side. It's a business at the end of the day. Players are going to move on. Teams are going to move on. But that's just the that's just the root cause of it. For me, and, and tell me if you guys agree with me on this, I have never loved the organization more than I have loved the player. But I can tell you one thing, and I will say this proudly. I don't want the only thing that people think of when they see me is the Cowboys, but it does warm my heart when somebody asks me, Hey man, did you see that game last week? Or what do you think about what happened here or there? Because that makes me feel like whenever people watch them on national television, they think of me and that makes, that makes me happy. You know, again, it's not the only thing I want to be known for, but I think that is definitely something that, that connects with me and, 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 and warms my heart. So um, that's my connection with the Cowboys. I'll wrap it up by saying, you know, they, they haven't always done what I've wanted them to do. They haven't always made me proud. They've definitely embarrassed me, but um, they are the one thing in my life up until this point, other than my family and my girlfriend that I love every single day and that I look forward to talking about and that I'll never shy away from talking about. I'll never shy away from expressing my opinion on them. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, like I mentioned, that is why we are fans of the teams we're fans of, because you can always count on them. When times get tough and life gets in the way and you deal with your personal shit, there's always something you can lean back on. I think we all need that. And for the three of us, I think it's our teams. And that's a very special connection to have. Yeah, man, I totally agree with mostly all of that. 
you know, from, from my fandom as well. Um, obviously, I like, uh, you know, one of the more successful teams that uh, the NFL has seen over the last 20 or so years. And uh, NL Bush, I really can, you know, identify with what you're talking about, too, as far as, you know, when somebody sees the, the Cowboys play, they, they think of you. And, uh, you know, I've had that situation with my team, too, on a number of different occasions. You know, uh, I post, you know, there's been a couple of times where I posted on Facebook, you know, like, what's the first thing that you see when you think of me? And nine times out of ten, the, the comments that roll in are, you know, photos or uh, gifs of the, the Patriots. So, um, and, you know, that's what everybody thinks uh about me everybody knows my love for the patriots and their organization and um you know unlike you guys i with my with my patriots fandom i i grew up into it you know my dad has been a fan of the patriots since the late 70s early 80s um i actually have a photo that i'll send you guys of my dad i think he said he said it was in like 1978 and uh he was uh, he was 13 and he's wearing a uh, a Steve Grogan shirt jersey, which I thought was just fucking awesome. So and, and Charles, too, you know, I, I started watching early 2000s as well. I don't necessarily remember the first two Super Bowls that the Patriots won, but I, I think I really started watching around 04. It, it was awesome to see my, how happy my dad was during those dynasty years. And uh, one of my favorite players was Teddy Bruschi and I Bush. I know you know that because when I met you up in Bradford, that that's one of the first things I told you when we started talking football, man. And, uh, you know, Teddy Bruschi was somebody who, uh, just made the game better. He was a great defensive linebacker and, uh, you know, I, I loved watching him. My family actually loved watching him. Uh, my mom's a bills fan actually, but it's funny. We, our first pet that we had, was a dog and and we actually named him teddy after teddy bruski so um really you know really cool stuff uh you know like i said watching my dad you know be happy about some of the stuff some of the big wins that the patriots had over the years whether it be like i mentioned before on this podcast of him once willie mcginnis uh stopped i believe it was do we say it was uh who was that running back for the colts james yeah he stuffed, he stuffed him on fourth and goal. And I remember my dad was so happy. He he's punching the ceiling and shit. It was, it was, it was so fun. So, you know, growing up into that, you know, a lot of people get on my shit and say, Oh yeah, you must be a bandwagon fan, blah, 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 blah. You know, shit like that is something that I've dealt with for my uh, 20 years of being a fan as well. But, you know, and that's not the case. I just, you know, it, it happens that they're one of the more successful teams and I, I've been, uh, utterly thankful for that over the years you know being able to you know start in 04 and go on to see my team win you know three more Super Bowls has been nothing short of amazing and Bush I know you know you you, you want to see your team win Charles you've been thankful enough to see that happen and um, you know there's nothing better than you know having your team get there to the biggest stage and put on a show under the spotlight so you know stuff like that just really it, it makes you fall in love with the game even more and bush to to your point too um you know i i grew up watching guys like tom brady bill belichick obviously is one of the greatest head coaches of all time 
um, and a variety of different players over the years. And, uh, you know, those guys are role models. I, you know, you can bring up the cheating and shit like that when it comes to the Patriots, but, you know, real fans of the game, you know, to put that shit aside. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you, you, you look at those guys and uh, they've been one of the best connections for forever. And it was sad to see Tom leave um, when he did, but I look up to him, you know, Bush, like you said, you know, you have shitty days and uh, you know, when, when, when something like this is your go-to, you know, you toss on a YouTube video of just Tom Brady's greatest highlights or you toss on, you know, America's game, any of the six Super Bowls that they won. So it's just, you know, having something like that to fall back on is uh, fun. And uh, like I said, you know, coming together and getting, you know, being able to talk to you guys about this every week is uh, something that makes you fall in love with the game even more. So that's kind of this status of my fandom and you know that will continue to grow i've been to gillette stadium myself and uh you know we mentioned that it, it, it was a amazing experience uh but you know i'm looking forward to see what the game brings here over the next 20 years one of the follow-up questions i did ha- i did want to ask both of you guys which i thought would be kind of an interesting way to end this show would be what are some of the teams you know outside of the ones that we've mentioned are teams that you cannot stand and teams that you will root against every single time they're on. Charles, I know obviously the Patriots for you. It's got to be some no, other NFC East teams. the Patriots for me. I don't really care about the Patriots that much. I, I, I enjoy them. That has – I've let that go. Um, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Cowboys. <laughs> Honestly. Um, I root against the Cowboys. I root against the Vikings. Um, only because their fans came. I, we talked about this in the NFC Championship a couple of years ago when we beat the brakes off of them. They came here very disrespectful, and I just like seeing them lose. Um, there, I, I just can't. The Steelers. I like to see them win and lose because I like Mike Tomlin, but I didn't like Ben Roethlisberger, so I'm not sure. You know, maybe maybe I shouldn't say the Steelers. I think any team that's hype that people are hype about. I just want them to lose. <laughs> you know, I just don't, I don't like when you talk about bandwagon shit. I don't like when the media rides them too. So for the Bengals this year, I wanted to see them lose. I was happy that they did. Yeah. And then, you know, the number one team, even probably more so than the Cowboys, Packers right now. Yeah. That will change once you know who is going. Charles, I can't, I can't, I could not agree with you more. Yeah, it's definitely them. And whatever team, um, I did move against the Colts this year, sneakily, because I don't want Carson Wentz to lose. I don't care about <laughs> him anymore. I won't move against the Commanders. I just don't care about him anymore. How about for you, Bush? Obviously, uh, the so Packers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have three. As much as I dislike the Eagles, I respect the hell out of them. I really do. Charles, I know you and I have had our, our debates on this show about the Eagles. Um, but at the end of the day, I do I do respect them. I do respect what they stand for, and I do respect the rivalry because um, they've definitely had our number several times over the year, and there's no question about that. I can't take that away from the Eagles, nor could I take that away from the Eagles fans. So props to you whenever that's occurred. Definitely Philadelphia. Green Bay, 
has ripped my heart out on a number of different occasions, like I've talked about. So Green Bay is number two. But number three, I'm going to go AFC here, and I'm not going to be very shy about shying this. Very shy about sharing this. That's a tongue twister, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, Ben's cracking up right now. I don't like the Broncos one, but I do not like Denver. That might be a surprise considering we play them once every four years. Could it have been that shelling that the Cowboys received earlier this year that just rubbed the fucking salt in the wound? That might play a part in it. Maybe you don't like Peyton Manning. No, I love Peyton Manning. I can't stand him. I I do like Peyton. (laughs) I can't stand him. I, I do like Peyton, believe it or not. Denver has had a tendency, particularly the last three times we have played them, to make some very disrespectful comments afterwards. Um, Jerry Jones doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Why are they going for it on fourth down? That's disrespectful to us. Listen, I'll give it to Denver. They have had our number here over the last four or five matchups. One of the most exciting games I have ever watched was back in October of 2013 when we lost to Denver 51-48. to But we put up a hell of a fight. Romo and Manning went toe-to-toe. One of the best football games I have ever watched. And we gave it our all. And listen, Denver got us in the end. I will not take away from them that they beat us because they beat us fair and square. Nothing to be said about that. What I don't like is the disrespect that's handed out afterwards. And um, I hope we can make them feel the way they made us feel the next time they come around. Bush, in all of our talks over the years, you know where I'm going with this one. You know, Pittsburgh is top of my list. Um, Growing up in um, Western Central Pennsylvania, um, you know, I, I was surrounded by Pittsburgh Steelers fans and uh, it just growing up, everybody in that area is a, is a Steelers fan. You know, I have nothing really to be mad at the team about because we always kick their ass. I love watching them lose. Uh, it's, it's got nothing to do with Mike Tomlin or anybody that's played for them. I don't have any hate towards any of the players, really. I just like putting some of the people that have uh wanted to see my team lose I like when they get put in their place as well I mentioned uh how you know some of the people associate me with the Patriots well Patriots lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl and you know they the clock hadn't even hit zero yet and I got people calling me that are Steelers fans you know trying to give me a hard time and I'm like what the fuck are you even like really (laughs) you're calling me right now so you know I always got a kick out of that but uh Again, you know, the Giants as well have to be up there for me. Obviously, they, they spoiled our uh, perfect season back in 07. Beat us twice in the Super Bowl. You know, we should have had those games, but um, I just don't, I don't like the Giants. Um, I know you guys know this, that, you know, one of the teams I will secretly uh, root for would be those boys with a star on the side of their helmet. But, um, you know, we won't get into that this week. It's not but, even a um, secret. <laughs> this is my number they're a uh, very attractive thing well that's a little conflict of interest if uh if you ask me Carl, I guess, you can admit it anyway. anytime you'd like there's nothing to admit there's nothing attractive about losing in 26 years straight hey listen it's all suppressed i understand i understand it's all suppressed 
But Ben, you know, Ben, I know why Ben likes him because he's won so much over the years. He's like, he wants to know what it feels like to be a loser. So I get it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, Charles isn't wrong, if I'm being honest. But yeah. I'm going no, on, the Cowboys but... are a legitimate football team. Um, yeah. And I've been surrounded by a couple different Cowboys fans over the year. You know, you got people like Bush, who's obviously one of my best friends. I, you know, I roomed with a guy in college, Dom. He was a huge Cowboys fan. Uh, some of my dad's friends are big Cowboys fans. Tim, Setzer, Jeff, shout out Ben Setz. Yeah, yeah, shout out Ben Setzer, football quarterback. Uh, you know, so I, 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 I've come across several Cowboys fans over the year, and I, you know, I'm always hoping that they do well. But anyway, back to um, my final team that I can't stand, and it's the Dolphins. Uh, they, they've ripped my heart out too, Bush, on a number of different occasions, and. Um, you know, you, you got the Miami miracle of Gronk looking like he's trying to pick up a Ritz chip off the fucking goal line. And, you know, some of the heartbreaking losses that we've had to the Dolphins over the years has just disrupted our seasons a couple of different times. So uh, when you have shit like that happen, man, you, you, you're you going to have some disdain for some of these teams. And uh, the Dolphins are it for me. So uh, we appreciate you guys checking in with us again this week. Uh, we're through 12 episodes now so um if you're here still we appreciate you if you're new uh remember to follow us on tiktok twitter instagram at pump and run underscore pod i just got some renderings for some t-shirts and some hats and things like that so we're hoping to bring out some bump and run merch here over the next couple weeks but uh let us know what you guys think we're always looking for uh feedback on our shows we're trying to be more active on twitter and instagram so um, if you don't follow, give us a follow and uh, get in on the conversation. You know, we're, we're you know, if you want to be on the show, we, we'd be happy to talk about potentially getting you on an episode here in the future. So um, with that being said, we're going to wrap it up this week. But for Charles and Bush, my name is Ben, and this has been another episode of the Bump and Run Podcast.